everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Beyond the Rock Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Hernandez, and Comedic Relief is provided by my co-host, Jeremy Arnst. If you have not yet done so, please click that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. And if you have some extra time to write us a rating or review on any of the platforms our podcast plays on, we would greatly appreciate it. Today's guest is California native, Selena Pang. Selena is a longtime Ashtanga yogi, as well as a skilled rock climber and a successful real estate agent. But what lights her up more than anything is being a supportive and dedicated mother to her son. She and her son live in Austin, Texas, and have for about 17 years. He's finishing his last year in high school, and Selena is getting ready to live a much more nomadic life. Throughout our time together, Selena shared many unique moments she has experienced throughout her lifetime, many of which have shaped who she is today. One of the many things I loved about our conversation is the deep gratitude she continually shared for all life has given her. She is a beautiful spirit and is truly a pleasure to converse with. Here's Selena Pang. Welcome to the show. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So excited to be here. Well, and we are certainly so happy for you to be with us. <laughs> Jeremy, do you know Selena in any capacity? Have I don't. I haven't met her yet. It's nice to meet you, Selena. Nice to meet you. I uh, kind of Googled you and you you started climbing at uh, Sarg. Wait, Sarg? Sarg? Uh, South Austin Rock Gym? Oh, no? yeah. Mm, yeah, way back in the day. I, I did go there once, but... Um, yeah, like I, I saw something that you said you, you went to Sarg. Your first time ever climbing was yep. at Sarg. Way back in the day. That was long before. Oh my before gosh, I, I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was long before I um, started climbing consistently. Yeah, yeah. And are you an ABPer these days? Um, I used to be. Um, I don't go to any gyms right at the moment, but um, I went from ABP and I switched to Austin Rock Gym. Uh, just uh I needed a change. So. I hear you. I've been to all of them. I circulate through all of them. So yep. totally get it. And Selena, do you want to just introduce yourself to our audience real quick? Because I'm fortunate to know you and have known you for years, but I think sure. everybody else needs to now. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, my name is Selena Pang. I have been uh, in Austin, Texas for 17 years, going on 18. I moved to Austin when my son was barely one. And I've been climbing in Austin for 18 years. I, I must say I've had some injuries and some illnesses that took me out of climbing for, you know, a couple few years here and there. But if you climb long enough, you kind of cycle through climb times and non-climb times and times you have to get down and buckle down and do life. So um, I am a local uh, yogini. I've been a yoga teacher in Austin for 17 years, I believe. Uh, I have been a local climber for 17 years. Woohoo! Woohoo! Um, yeah, I started uh, climbing in California. So I learned Joshua Tree was my stomping ground uh, back in the day. It's about it's been about 25 years. So uh, back when there was not a whole lot of people, not a whole lot of women in the climbing scene. And 
I feel really blessed to have witnessed climbing go from what it was back then, which was pretty darn special, to what it is today, which is more accessible, more representation, um, which is a huge thing. And I think the whole um, climbing climate and the industry is changing. So that's pretty exciting. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, I wanted, when you asked you know, me about the podcast, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Here I am, a 51-year-old mom in Austin, Texas, you know, still, still climbing after my limbs haven't fallen off yet after 25 years. And they won't. I, I hope not. I love it so much. I hope I get to continue. Um, and I recently completed the um, uh, AMGA's Rock Guide course. So I am officially an apprentice rock guide, but I already have my SPI. And uh, I taught a little bit for REI because of the furlough. Uh, I just got laid off from REI, but that also means opportunity to do um, more, you know, to share climbing in a different capacity now that I'm not uh, tied to them. So that's also very exciting. Oh, man. Hold on. I'm just fangirling out on my friend right now because when you're putting it out there, it's just like all these boxes checked and there's so much to unpack with all of that. So Jeremy, I'm sorry. I just had to cut in. And no <laughs> I just want to know, uh, what does it mean to be an apprentice rock guide? So, so the rock guide course is quite, um, uh, stringent and very, um, it's, it's kind of a long road. Um, once you decide to go into the rock guide program, you actually have, um, levels of that, how how it progresses and the initial level is you you have to um you have to take the rock cut rock guide course which is a 10-day course of um a lot of just technical skills rescue drills um guiding and mock guiding um multiple people and so that goes on for 10 days then uh, you have to to move on to the next level. You have to apply to take the advanced rock guide course. And day one of this advanced advanced rock guide course, from what I understand, you have to pass an exam on day one, or they don't let you proceed to take the other nine days. So then, when you finish and you pass that you become an assistant rock guide. So it means you still have to be working with a rock guide. Um, and then you do your assistant rock guide ship for however long you need to. And then you take the final rock guide exam. And if you pass that, you are free to operate as a rock guide independently. So it's it's most people take few slash several years to go through the stages but they clearly make it you know pretty challenging because they want quality they want high education levels mm -hmm. and um you know when you have people's lives on on in your hand it becomes extremely important so but with this rock guide course it allows me to participate in a multi-pitch environment, which you can't do with a single pitch instructor. 
cert certification. So it allows me to adventure out with people more. Uh, and that's what I'm really looking forward to. So it's been great to have the SPI, but you know, I think the bulk of the education and the safety stuff in the multi-pitch environment, you just get in the rock guide course. It's, it's a lot, but it's amazing training. And, uh, you know, just recently how I got into this course is um, I got um, sponsored by the North Face to participate in an all-women's AMGA rock guide course because what they're trying to do with the industry is they're trying to diversify and get more women to represent and become rock guides and you know more in a leadership role in the outdoors so i got to hang out for 10 days with some super <laughs> powerful women it was amazing right yeah you yes. know selena you've been definitely a loud voice and when i say loud i mean that in the most positive and empowering ways um brianne richardson jameson was with us last weekend she talked about how necessary it is to be loud about the things that you're passionate about um, you know, justice and diversity, inclusion, equality. And uh, I love that the AMGA is working toward that. And I can't imagine what it would have been like to walk up to the crag and there's no one else that looks like you or is your same gender. And for the evolution to be where it's at now, I mean, as you said earlier, how amazing is that? It's, it's, it's really amazing. I mean, back then, you know, I was really the... I mean, very few women climbed, you know, in, in that recreational way, but 25 years ago. So that was beautiful in that, you know, I got in on the sport when it was still very small. Everybody knew everybody. And, you know, I got taken under the wings of a lot of seasoned veteran climbers. And, you know, you that would be a little bit hard today, right? Just because there's so many, so many climbers and, People are just busy, but uh, it was such a small community back then. But, you know, it also came with so many challenges, right? I mean, as simple as being racked up and ready to go at the base of a climb and some guy cutting in front of you and being like, oh, I'm just going to run up and down this really quick and just completely ignoring me and being rude i mean that that type of stuff used to happen all the time so you know in some ways it's been hard and if it hasn't been such an amazing uh sport where i meet amazing people i think a lot of that frustration probably would have kicked me out but for the most part i think climbing and climbers are a group of very open-minded people right it's traditionally yes Yes, one of my favorite aspects of the sport. You just meet the coolest people from all walks of life. And, you know, when we get around that campfire at night, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't <laughs> matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter, Man. right? Everybody is more or less welcoming and inclusive and, you know, and we need to continue that, right? We need to continue to make sure that women feel safe, uh, trans and BIPOC people feel safe in the outdoors. And I think this is the direction that a the AMGA and a lot of the uh, organizations are trying to take it, you know, because in all reality, it isn't 
you know, it still isn't equal and safe for everybody. So that work absolutely needs to continue. So I agree with you that the climate community is very open-minded, um, but do you have any thoughts on the resistance um, to renaming problematic route names? Hmm, this is a tricky one. You know, I, um, I think a lot of that name stuff came from a place of playfulness, but yeah, I have to say that um, a lot of them, just simply not cool. You know, I, I think that now with more people openly speaking up about it, you know, um, right back when I started, who was I to be like, oh my gosh, that is so offensive. But um, I'm glad that's happening. I'm glad that people are recognizing at very um, kind of foundational and basic places where we have these. Um, prejudices and inconsistency and inconsiderations because we need to clear it from that base level so that you know everybody feels safe so yeah no i'm 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 for, i'm definitely for the name changes you know but then I've, I've also you know i can't remember what specific um routes we were uh, kind of had some issues associated with it, but when you hear the um, the uh, history behind it, you know there was some part of me that's like, oh, okay, I see. Maybe you know they were not referring to a certain aspect of it, which was my assumption but i think if it was my assumption it would be a lot of people's assumption and why keep perpetuating that you know yeah i've heard that argument before like oh if you understand the history of it you know why it's called this but i'm like if 99 percent of the people that roll up don't know the history of it then right and we'll never know it right so yeah yeah because i've i've talked to people about some of the things some of the problem names at waco and then i've gotten feedback from people who are longtime climbers out there and they say, well, it's called this because of this. And I go, okay, that makes sense. It was very innocent. Right. It just comes, it comes off as dirty. But, and then on that note, since I have this is a question for both of you, um, as women, do you find like vulgar, uh, like teenage boy type funny route names offensive as women or off-putting as women? Or is it just the stuff that's racist and sexist and homophobic? I'm just curious because I've, I've had people push back and me say, well, that's just vulgar. That's not racist. So we shouldn't rename it because it's just vulgar. And I'm just curious. That's a good question. Hmm. I mean, I'm a bit vulgar here and there, depending on my environment and who I'm with. And that doesn't necessarily translate to me being a racist or a homophobic person or someone that tries to oppress others, it's just kind of a way of, uh, I don't want to say a way of speak, but almost like a personality trait when you have some vulgarity sure. to your, to your language. I don't know. Do y'all, yeah. does that make sense? It does. And, and, and for me, I think I choose, um, very consciously not to go down that path because anything that comes into our daily, any kind of, um, lexicon, 
that comes into daily play, it's very easy to allow, right? Like when does that become a problem? You know, it's very, it's so not black and white, um, but I do feel like yeah. respectful language is easy, you know, so why not? That said, you know, for the most part, I think playfulness is okay. You know, I'm usually not easily offended anyway. So, um, you know, I, I, I get that, you know, for some people, it's almost a form of kind of art expression and emotionality. But yeah, so hard to draw that line. Um, I certainly don't like people spewing, you know, the P word and the B word and it's kind of yeah, not okay with certainly. me. So I, you know, I don't really use it in my vocabulary. I, but long story short, I think, why have it, right? Vulgar, racist, whatever, why? If there's other ways of expressing something, why? Which if you want to go deep in the changes of route names, I completely agree with that hundred percent. But I think the priorities in this scenario for me, and I'm sure across the board are the sure. racist and homophobic. And of, of course, like you said, uh, Selena, like the P word and the four letter C word, that's like terrible to hear. It's just like, that does not need to be there in any way. Yeah. I, I don't even know. Oh, never mind. I was gonna it ask you, what's the B word? <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think I even hold back at using that word, to be honest with you. <laughs> but this is like conversation that I have with my, my friends. Sure. Like when it comes, yeah, when it comes to trying to be, I guess, like in a respectful community, yeah, that that type of stuff. I'm. Not. I mean, I get both sides of it. Like I don't like I, I'm. Nothing really offends me. It's not like someone's gonna say something and I'm gonna be like, oh, that's shocking to me. Like I've kind of heard it all. But then again, I'm like, do I really want to tell my mom that I climbed a, a problem on the the donkey show boulder? Do I really want to tell her that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think we could go back and forth a lot on this and go round and round because yeah. um, it, it hits a lot of good, a lot of good points. But to move our conversation forward, you know, speaking of race and background, you are a Chinese woman who is a Californian, but grew up in Japan and then moved at 18. Can you talk to us about how that worked out and how the fashion industry crept in your twenties? And then, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, I've kind wow. of done all sorts of thing in my years. You sure have. But anyway, I was born in Santa Monica because uh, my parents um, during the Red Scare and in the 60s, they, they were Chinese immigrants in, they were actually born in, in, in Japan, but their parents traveled from China to Japan. So they were um, you know, immigrants in Japan. There was so much fear around communism and my parents were worried that they were gonna get booted out of Japan anyway. So they're like, you know what? let's just cut our losses. We're going to move to California, California, because my uh, father's siblings were already there and they had me there. And shortly after I was born, miraculously, my parents got granted Japanese citizenship. So they decided to go back. So I was an infant when I returned to Japan. I um, was schooled in Japan in an international school. 
graduated at 18 and then came, um, you know, moved to California, or I should say moved back to California. And, uh, you know, I knew that I would be leaving Japan at age five. Discrimination in Japan against non-Japanese, especially if you were other Asian, was very, very strong. And uh, I had a really tough time with it. I knew that if I stayed in Japan, not only would I get, would I be discriminated as a woman, but I'm discriminated as an immigrant. So I decided at five, I was going to leave Japan the first opportunity I had. So I started saving money at five. Oh, wow. Yeah, I started saving money and everything. I would do these random things to make money. Like I would clean people's desks. At our school, we used to have like a, a kind of like a cleanliness organization check where they would randomly check our desks and our lockers. So I would like make a couple of bucks here and there doing that. I, mean, I was pretty enterprising from a really young age. But um, and then for a while, I was trying to get kicked out of school so that my parents would send me overseas because that is how oh, much man. I hated Japan and how much I hated my school. I went to an all girls Catholic school and I was such the black sheep, both in my family and in my school that, you know, if I could have, I would have left early. But my first opportunity was when I graduated high school. I, I promised my father I would return to Japan as soon as I graduated. So my game plan was that, you know, he gave me four years to finish undergrad. And I was like, okay, I'm going to finish my undergrad in three years. I'm going to get a job so that when that four-year mark hit, I could announce to him that I wasn't going home. So that's what I did. I graduated. I got this corporate job. My first job out of college was working for a very prestigious and old Japanese trading firm that did textiles and manufactured clothes. Or I was in their licensing division. I mean, they did everything. They did grains. They did all kinds of stuff. So that was my foray into the fashion industry. So I was in fashion industry for for my entire 20s. Through my early 30s, I think I finally left at like 31 or 2. I loved the manufacturing aspect of it, but I hated the fashion, you know, the outside aspect of it, you know, and especially if you're doing fashion in LA, it's kind of what you would imagine it to be. Um, I won't say any more about that. Uh, <laughs> All right. That's around <laughs> so diplomatic. Yeah, that's, you know, and a few years kind of in my 20s, I started dabbling in climbing because I had friends who um, were rock climbers and I loved it. Well, I met this guy who was a salsa dancer. He thought, you know, I used to dance salsa like five, six nights a week. He thought I would be a great rock climber. So he took me to the gym my first time. I loved it. The second time I climbed, he took me up to Takis in in Idlewild. And we did a multi-pitch climb. And back then I was a smoker. So I was dry heaving. The oh whole way up. And I was so, you know, I was like fit enough to dance. And I was still working out in the gym, but I was not mountain fit. And I remember, you know, I don't even pray, right? Because I'm not religious. But I remember saying, God, if you help me survive this hike, 
I will quit smoking. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good deal to make. And that's kind of, yeah, no, I was so ill. But once I got on the wall, it was amazing. I loved it. You know, this guy and I kind of, we quasi dated and parted ways shortly afterwards, but I kept climbing and kept meeting amazing people in the climbing world. And here I am, you know, 25 years later. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man, those old flames. You sport climbers. You sport climbers always have to do those long walks to get where you're going. <laughs> I was yeah. so I went out to I went out to Bull Creek this past weekend. We went at like seven o'clock in the morning. I think it was my wife asked me. She's like, "Oh, why are you going?" You know, something about going early. And I'm like, "Rock climbers usually don't go out early, especially boulders. Yeah. Like we just wait until the sun comes up." Boulders drink coffee till noon. You sport <laughs> climbers are out there. You've done it. You've come back. We are. Although I go yep. out because I like to avoid people. So. There's a lot more schlepping when you're a sport climber or when you're doing multi-pitch. Yeah. Well, sure. when you do trad, right? Like, oh my gosh, that's a are a very common part of, you know, climbing. So, um, and I naturally, Emily, you probably know this, but I get up at like four or four thirty. So, for yeah. me, it's you know, it's 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 great. I love being out early. I love me too. the sunrise when you're hiking in. Um, I would take that over headlamp at night climbing. Oh yeah. Day. Yep. Oh, Alpine starts are our jam. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. Literally. Night climbing's fun though. I mean, it is, but like when you're going on a sport route, your headlamp is only facing one way and like you, I don't, I don't know. We went uh, climbing last night at, at the green belt and we didn't have our big flood lamp. And I didn't realize how spoiled we are when I bring that DeWalt, like massive flood lamp behind mm -hmm. us, plus our headlamp. Yeah. It's just. I just bought two yeah. new battery operated flood lamps. I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Selena, that, that is quite the timeline of your, your early life. So I mean, wow. I never knew all of that. Yeah, once upon a time, a long time ago, I used to be quite fashionable. And now it's like, my nails are jacked, my hands are jacked. You know, I constantly have bruises all over my body. I recently was in um, Vedavu because uh, I wanted to conquer my dislike of off widths. Oh, yeah. So I was uh, there just wrestling off with and I had I just had bruises all over my body and you know, it's, um, my friend that I met like a few days later is like, you look like you took a beating. I was just covered my entire <laughs> side of the body and my back was just covered in bruises, but I'm so happy that, you know, at, at 51, I get to enjoy my body and enjoy nature in that way. It's just been such an amazing amazing empowering creative endeavor for me uh the day i would have to say goodbye to climbing would probably be the saddest day of my life and i don't want to think about it but the reality is it's it's coming right you know um you emily you know this but i'm i'm about to get my second shoulder surgery and four days um on my right shoulder so i'll be out of commission for a year 
second one in what one and a half years in one and a half years my yeah 18 months ago I got my left shoulder reconstructed so for me this stage in my climbing is like a very long sweet goodbye to something that I have loved and felt passionate about for you know over two decades so it's kind of a big deal I've climbed through so many stages of life. I've climbed through my hardcore young strong days. I've climbed through my pregnancy. I've climbed, I've toted my son everywhere and nursed him at crags and at rock gym and took him climbing. And I climbed in my early motherhood days. When I first moved to Austin, he was, you know, not quite one. I connected with a bunch of stay-at-home dads who were climbers here in Austin. Oh, wow. They invited me to come and join them. So they used to uh, climb every Tuesday and Thursday. So it was a bunch of dad, dad crushers and their little babies and me and my little baby. And uh, I have just such sweet memories of just different stages. You know, and then I had a few years where I didn't climb. I got um, I got Lyme's disease. Unbeknownst to me, I was super sick. I didn't know why, but I was sick for many years, and uh, I was just so sick I just couldn't climb. Then, so I gave up for a few years. I got remarried during that time. My husband was not a climber. He was a cyclist. So I chose to give up climbing to cycle with him because he was not, you know, open to climbing. And I just wanted to do something where we could spend time together. So I, um, I, I gave up climbing for a few years and then he passed. So when he passed and when I was going, when I was beginning my, so I had also at the same time I had breast cancer. So during that time, when I was going through my breast cancer treatment, I decided that I had just lost my husband. I was starting breast cancer therapy. I was kind of like bummed out and I needed something I would look forward to every day. And I was like, screw it. I'm just going to buy myself a rock gym membership. So that's when I started climbing again after, um, I want to say a four year break, maybe. And that's when I restarted climbing. So that was back in 20. 11 I started climbing again and I you know not stopped since but of course I'm a single mom so it's a little bit harder for me to go on big trips but I've tried to uh stay in somewhat climbing shape by staying local going to Rymers going to the gym we're fortunate now that we finally have you know some gym choices where we didn't before full circle too because now my son finally um started he started bouldering so he's not on ropes yet um (laughs) he's like mom you never take me on these trips you know you get to go to all these cool places and I'm like dude I will take you if you get roped up but I can't leave you in some Airbnb in Spain all day while I climb it's gotta be bouldering in Spain (laughs) so um hopefully I can kind of convince him to start roping up with me soon but teenage boys anything mom does is simply not cool there's nothing wrong with bouldering no i love bouldering oh yeah i i 
I love, you know, I love all kinds of climbing, but trad is just where my soul just, my spirit just flies, you know? So that's when I can, that's what I do. Fair enough. I just, I just like to make fun of sport climbers. That's all. I've never tried <laughs> trad climbing. Trad climbing seems scary. Very scary. I mean, sport climbing seems scary too, but. <laughs> different thing you know i love sport climbing because the movements are so beautiful right it's like bouldering the movements are so creative you know in in sport the movements are so aesthetically pretty i love the feeling of being like a dancer going vertically um and trad is so different you know it's 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 more involved because there's gear knowledge, there's more weather stuff, there's more rock knowledge, uh, route reading involved. So it's adventurous in a very different way that sports and bouldering is not. And I think as I age, my ability to climb hard climbs, right, those, those are kind of diminishing, but I can do easy trad that is thrilling adventurous my body can handle it i don't have to like break a limb every time i try something there's longevity in that so i'm looking forward to kind of going back to my trad roots now that um my son is graduating high school soon and i get to be away um more often so yeah. I just I just turned 45 and that's my plan for as I get older. I'm I'm just going to keep hanging out with younger sport climbers and have them set the top rope for me. Oh, perfect. I, I love that plan too. Well, that's why everybody says do you sport climb? I'm like not yet. Good. Someday. Gonna I'm going to have fun. I have sport climb, but not yet. I'm just that's that's my that's my climbing retirement plan is sport climbing. Yeah. I don't, and, <laughs> and as you were talking about I I real I had a realization that one of the reasons that I I kind of look at sport climbing weird is that my idea of climbing is literally fighting with the rock. It's not dancing up the wall. Like I want to do like five moves and top out, but I want to, I want to fight that. Yeah. You want to wrestle the rock. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. See in my mind, when I think of climbing, I think of dancing or I think of making love to the rock. I think of working with the rock I don't think about fighting and conquering. So we have very different yeah. approaches. And I, I love to watch people who look like they're doing ballet up the wall. I wish I had that style. I just, I just don't. Selena, yeah, and you are so beautiful to watch. I mean, you're not just your technique, but just the way that you analyze. I mean, you can really see the intention behind your climbing and it is a beautiful thing to watch. Oh, thank you. I love that yeah. creative process. It is beautiful. And, you know, you can get a little thuggy with some moves when you throw for something and you need to let out, you know, your your breath, which a lot of times as climbers, we hold on to that breath. And a lot of times just as humans, period, we're not using our entire lung capacity, you know, to to breathe, which breath is so important. And, you know, as an Ashtanga yogi for 20, 25 years, Selena? Yeah. 25? 25 years. Yep. Yep. Can you just talk to our audience about how important breath is with connecting the mind and the body to the rock and what you're trying to send? 
Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of interesting because the breath is something that is so intimately connected with your nervous system, right? So if you can't regulate your breath, you end up working a lot harder than you should, but you also can't, um, it's like you can't hack your nervous system. You know, there's ways to breathe with, when you want to power and punch through stuff, right? You want something that feels fiery because you want that breath to be like jet fuel. But for the most part, you know, if you want a little bit of kind of even keeled stamina to get through routes, you know, you want to hack your breath so that you can hack your nervous system and be calm because, you know, in, in, I mean, it's such a, an, a good metaphor to life, right? When you freeze, you panic, your uh, ability to make good decisions or clean moves or, you know, stay calm under pressure goes. And so really like the breath is kind of like the most powerful tool in essence to keep you in the present moment. You know, when you're in the present moment, if you can keep yourself in the present moment, right, you keep panic at bay, you just worry about what you're doing. So it kind of becomes, a. It, in my mind, I feel the challenge is more about making it through each of the moves and just sticking with it and not letting the fear of falling or the fear of not making it take away from that moment's power. Sometimes climbing is like labor, you know? It's, it's not, it's, it's not pretty, it doesn't have to be pretty. It might be very uncomfortable, but if you can kind of stop worrying and getting too heady and keep yourself in the moment, you have a better chance of making the hard moves and getting through those challenges than if you start getting in your head too much, right? I think, yeah, I mean, really climbing yoga, the breath, in the end, it's all the same. It's kind of all, you know, just a metaphor to life. And if you can practice it in those places, you can practice it well in life and vice versa, right? You practice that well in life, it can translate to your climbing life and your yogi life better. <laughs> it informs each other. Exactly. And when you and I met at South Austin Rock Gem, I don't know how many, what was that, 2018 when you were going for your MBA? Or well, it was 2016. 16. Oh my gosh, 2016. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned that you had hosted or took a group to do a yoga and climbing retreat in Spain. Am I remembering, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, yeah. It was, Can you it was more of a kind of a fun thing for me. I had a friend who used to run a retreat center who was a climber and used to do um, art retreats. Um, and, you know, the, the people who ran the retreat center were um, used to have an art school in LA. So when they said, hey, why don't you come and do like a, you know, morning yoga followed by all day climbing, I was like, yeah, I'm in, you know, but... Yeah, it was, you know, climbing and yoga is so complimentary because if you think about the mechanics of, I mean, it, it might, you know, when I, when I say yoga, I talk about the asana, the physical part of yoga, and I'm specifically referring to ashtanga yoga because that's the, 
the lineage I practice, you know, a lot of that Ashtanga yoga is all about pushing, right? So we build a lot of upper body pushing. A lot of climbing is upper body pulling. So I noticed that when you do both together, they both prevent injuries. And, you know, over the years, I've noticed that when I get too lazy with my yoga practice, I start getting a little bit tweaky in my climbing life. But on the other hand, let's say I'm too busy with life and I can't climb, it starts to mess with my, you know, my physical yoga practice. Because I think, again, that pushing and the pulling, there's like a really good balance. And there's also a good mental balance too of awareness where in yoga you learn to become so aware and you practice that you practice that practice that it translates to climbing but when i get lazy with that i think once you learn to become aware you have to keep practicing it it's not like once you get it it stays with you it's not like riding a bike once you get it you have to keep practicing it and making sure that you keep doing it and when you stop practicing it, that awareness starts going away. Yeah. The, the other thing about yoga and climbing that's very similar is that they're both very unique practices to yourself. Like it's- uh, It's very personal. For personal, yeah. Very, very yeah. personal. So when I was doing yoga a lot, I used to climb for two hours at ABP and then go to yoga class mm -hmm. at ABP. And then the instructor would always be like, if you're tired, just go into downward dog. I'm like, that's the last place I want to be. My shoulders hurt so bad. <laughs> Anywhere but downward dog. Can we do anything else but that? Yeah, well, and you know, it's kind of a way of um, learning to check in with and listen to yourself. That's like the real value in the yoga practice, right? Is you stop trying to make things happen and you start paying attention to the reality that it presents so that you can make the best decision possible with the reality of right now. You know, um, it's same in climbing. You're climbing, you're always paying attention and micro tweaking because every day your body's different. The weather conditions are different. The moisture level's different. Your mind is different. So maybe some days you're as distracted and not as laser focused and you just have to work with the reality of every day, every moment to make the best decision possible. I would say it kind of translates in life too. And yeah. when you sit back and look at what we are dealing with in 2020, just in the past few years, I mean, decades, we have so much that is packed into our brains and the stimuli that's in front of us, whether that's digitally or socially or Visually, it, it's so much to hold on to. So do you recommend sitting with your breath for even just a few minutes a day and doing some stretches? If, you, if you're opposed to yoga or you don't feel comfortable, just are those the two you think fundamentals to entering into a better mind-body connection? Yeah, I think that time spent not doing things is so important you know today we tend to pack our days with things to do you know unfortunately i think the um american culture is a culture of doing achieving accomplishing 
And in the midst of all of that, we've forgotten how to take care of ourselves. We've forgotten how to listen to our bodies. We've forgotten how to slow down because when we slow down, we feel lost or unproductive. You, you, you feel it, it's like you've attached value, self-value to the things you do. And so when you're not doing things, you don't feel good about yourself. And, and that's a really dangerous, dangerous place to be because as soon as that kind of kicks in, you stop being able to hear yourself. So yeah, quiet time, even time, you know, just sitting and not doing anything. I mean, I hate to call it meditation because I think people get really intimidated by that word. Yeah, that's exactly why I didn't, I mean, because you and I both, yes, but you're absolutely right. You know, but yeah, let's not even call it meditation. Let's call it a time when you're not doing anything and you're just sitting on your porch and just like watching the sunset or the sunrise or not scrolling on your phone and just enjoying the air, you know, time. Just that. Time to connect. Time to connect with self and disconnect with the outer world. Again, another main reason I wanted you uh, on our podcast, you just, you speak exactly what I feel, but it's just so hard when you've gotten into a habit of the scrolling and the, and the stimuli that you have to make an active choice to put it down. And you just kind of, I, I sometimes chuckle when I sit in silence and, and just take it in. Cause I'm thinking, how can this be so hard? Sometimes this is just bananas. Yeah. But necessary. Necessary because in that, in that quiet, in that stillness, we learn to love and respect ourselves. And until we can do that, we can't love and respect and hear others. Right. Very well said. Just like absolutely judgment, 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 assumption, assumption, assumption. And the quiet is necessary to be able to hear the world. Your words are so profound and I hang on every one of them. I'm not going to lie. And what I admire a lot about you among the, the slew of things I have and have not mentioned, when I see you speak on social media and when I hear you speak to others or just listen to myself, you speak with such intention and patience and understanding. Has that always been a theme in, in you as a human or was that something that you worked for through your triumphs and tragedies and you know moves? changes in in geographies has that always, always been with you or was no, that a practice I worked really hard on it actually you know because I had and I still work on it really I, I've had so much you know from kind of my upbringing and coming from a culture where women aren't valued you know uh, more or less coming from a family where women weren't valued you know I I've always try to do things to have to prove myself right and at some point i understood that it wasn't about proving myself to others i needed to like prove my myself to myself which why right well when i became pregnant with my son i felt like such an imposter because i was like holy moly, I have a little kid, a little life that I'm bringing into this world. I think that's when I made a, a, an absolute commitment that 
you know, I, I will never be perfect, but that at least I would really try so that I, I don't pass on generations of dysfunction onto my son that, um, you know, I might not be able to get rid of everything, but it was certainly within my power to overcome a lot of them. So that was what, 18 years ago or 19 years, including the year spent pregnant. And what a beautiful pledge as a future, as a parent. I mean, talk about it. Yeah. But I, I, I don't think I have the uh, motivation or even really kind of the um, wherewithal to begin that work until that happened. You know, that was such a big pivotal moment, especially because I didn't want to be a parent. I was so anti-kids and it's, it's partly because I felt like there was so much that was hard about being a kid and being born into this world that I, I didn't need to like contribute to that, (laughs) you know, where in reality I could contribute to that by like changing me so that I could pass on an amazing human being who could start changing the world. You know, luckily my son is really quite amazing. So I'm, (laughs) but I feel like he was sent to me to be my teacher. You know, he's amazing. That just makes me smile so hard. I love watching the lessons that you two are learning from each other. Uh, you busted out your sewing machine after 20 years to teach him how to sew. You kind of went back to your fashion roots and he made a kimono. You made, he, I don't know, fashion. What was that? Like so many things. He made like three jackets. You know, I just modified the things I had, you know, just, just for funsies. But, um, you know, living through him makes me experience life in a, in a very new and different way, you know? Um, so it's very, very healing for me. And again, my, my kiddo is so good. He's never had a temp temper tantrum. We sailed through a knock on wood. We sailed through our teenage years. We haven't had these teenage challenges yet. And now he's 18 and he's kind of officially a legal adult. So yeah, I've got his, he registered to vote. I think I saw, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, cause I'm watching, I've known you yeah, since 2016 and yeah, you stepped back for a couple of years, but he was a, a young boy when, you know, I first, and then you, you resurfaced some of these older pictures with his long hair and it's, and like, he's a young man now. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's totally a man now. You know, and I have to stop treating him like my baby, although he'll always be my baby. Oh, so you don't have to. My mom still treats me like I'm her baby and I'm 45 years old. See, moms can't help that. I mean, because, you know, no matter how old you become and, you know, my son like is towering over me and he's really buff and he has this voice that's like mom, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but like, when I see him, I still remember the kid that I used to, I used to um, wear a North Face fanny pack and he would sit on it. So I wouldn't even have to carry him because he would be like a koala bear baby. And he would <laughs> sit on the fanny pack and clamp around me. I used to oh my clean, you know, do laundry, do my groceries. I never had to like, he held on to me. I never had to carry him. 
That's so yeah, awesome. That. He got his little muscles going early. Yeah. Wait, is it, so is the fanny pack, is that how you got your North Face uh, Rock Guide scholarship? <laughs> Or is it just because of your badassery? You know, I should have made it like the point of application. Yeah, for those who don't know, Selena actually did get the North Face. Do you want to talk about that scholarship that you got? I meant to ask you in the beginning, but just since we're talking about the North Face. Earlier this spring, um, I, you know, got word that uh, the AMGA was going to be offering scholarship spot for the Women's Rock Guide course. And I saw that email and I immediately shut it off. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to get it. You know, (laughs) we're in like COVID times. I don't even know what life is going to look like in a few months. I um, opened that email. I closed it. I tried not to think about it. And a few days went by and I was starting to see dreams about it. And I would shower and I would start thinking about it. And I was like, oh, no, oh, no. Um, and I was like, you know what? Why not? You know, they're not going to give me a scholarship spot for some mom in Central Texas who's super far away from from the mountains. So, you know, I kind of applied, counting on the fact that I wouldn't get it. Seriously, Selena <laughs> Pang. <laughs> so when I did, I like really kind of nearly fell out of my chair because. Then I was, um, the the next thing, you know, that came to me was like, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. Imposter syndrome again. You know, such a big dirty thing. Yeah. And then, you know, I kind of realized that a lot of these people who got the scholarships were already working guides. And I felt like I would be the oldest. I felt I would be the slowest, the most unfittest person. And so that really haunted me. I was so scared. So then I was like, you know what, for the next two months, I'm just going to, right? It's COVID times. I wasn't going out. So I'm in COVID shape, like lockdown shape. We, Kai and I have been sewing and cooking at home. So we're not like working out. We're hangboard training. But besides that, we're not doing much. And so then I decided I was going to join a gym and make myself um, get in somewhat ready shape. So I did that for two months. I started doing cardio training, weight training, doing all of that every day. I still wasn't really strong, but I decided I should go to Colorado, you know, two weeks before the actual training started so I could get acclimated, made myself like put on a pack and hike every day and climb and do these multi-pitch routes. And so when I got there, I was still really intimidated, but you know, that's the beauty of being in a women's guide course, right? There's so much love and so much support. It was amazing. We had an all-star cast. So we had Karen Bockle, Margaret Wheeler, Erica Engel, all IMFGA guides. And so they were our teachers. So you couldn't get more all-star than that. It was amazing, you know, all ladies. And it was amazing in that I didn't have to pretend to be strong. There were moments where I was so tired, so frustrated that I would just really, like the tears would start beating up in my eyes because I would be looking at like these 
rope rescue and rope management things, and it would look like Rubik's Cube to me. <laughs> I would be so frustrated, and I would start tearing up. And I felt like, you know, I didn't even have to hide that. Because just because I was tearing up, it didn't mean that I couldn't get it done. I felt free to be myself, you know, and not, not cut off a part of myself that was authentic in order to belong in this group of badass women. So it was an amazing experience. That's awesome. We had fun too. We had, we had a lot of great fun times, but a lot of hardworking times. But yeah, I feel very, very fortunate to have participated in that. And I hope, Emily, my hope is that, right, you know that I've always been really into working with women and educating women. I do. And so my hope is to use this knowledge to educate more women because the truth of the matter is that in climbing, a lot of women rely too much on their partners. And by that, I mean their male partners to know the safety stuff, to know the technical stuff, to lead the hard stuff. And, you know, I want to change that and make it so that people feel empowered and be like, you know what, I can handle this. I absolutely do. And, and you, so Kai, Kai's graduating, who is a uh, Selena's son, is graduating at the end of 2021? No, or, he's, he's graduating next spring, spring 2021. Okay. And you are a new owner of a Sprinter van. You have this Ford rock. I do what? A Ford Transit. Excuse me. New owner of a Ford Transit, which we want to hear all about that van life. Are you planning on being super mobile? Or do you think that once Kai graduates that you're going to stay in one place? Probably super mobile. Um, you know, Kai's going to be going to UT. Austin. So um, I don't want to be too far too often. Um, so I'll definitely be, you know, in Austin some, checking in on my boy and making sure he's getting out of trouble. I thought you were going to say, because he's going to school local, you were going to leave town. No, that too. Absolutely. <laughs> that too. So would yeah. you, would you get as a real estate investor or do you think like, you would get him an apartment or send, have like an extra room for when you come back or a house or? Yeah, I think I'll it... probably try to keep my place here. And, you know, that way I have a place to land when I come. Uh, I joke, Perfect. I joke about this with my friend who, um, I had a friend, Matt, who used to live in my backyard in his van, um, when he was going through school and doing his student life. And now we joke because um, he recently purchased the house and I'm like, oh, yay, Matt. Now I'm going to stay in your backyard in my van. Um, so, you know, that's also a possibility too. Um, I definitely hope to spend a, a fair amount of time in Colorado. I really like the climbing there. Um, I would love to get back to skiing. I used to ski a lot when I was young and I kind of given that up because again, as a single mom, it wasn't easy for me to go on a bunch of ski trips. Um, so yeah, I would just like to be closer to the mountain more 
more months out of the year than what I get now. But um, I hope to be mobile. And, you know, when you have a little turtle shell like that van, it's easy to have a traveling home. So, yep. Let me know if you want to collaborate on something cool. <laughs> Just wondering, you know. <laughs> Tell us about the van. I'm, I, so in a couple of years, I need to buy a new vehicle, a new daily driver. I'm kind of going back and forth on getting like a, a like the Ford Transit, but like the smaller like Metro or whatever it's called, or just getting like an SUV, like a, like a Forerunner or something like that. I mean, I don't plan on living on it. It's more like for trips, right? Right. So. You know, I will have to say, so before I have this uh, Ford Transit, I had a small RV on a Sprinter chassis. And I found myself, that was like too clunky and big. So I found myself not using it often enough. And it was just like, too much in maintenance costs. I finally got rid of it. When I got this Ford van, it was shortly before COVID hit. So um, I hadn't really taken it on a lot of trips. I'd taken it on some short weekend trips, but otherwise I wasn't using it much. COVID hit. I was absolutely driving myself crazy because I wasn't really getting outside. So I loaded my transit with paddle boards and started hitting the water. And now that I'm used to being on the transit, it drives so easily like a car. I will never go back to car camping. I mean, especially if you're getting a small, you know, Ford Connect. Oh yeah, that's what it's called. It's a Connect. Yeah. Like why? Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, SUVs have their place. I think there's more maybe terrain that you can manage and access in an SUV. But yeah, my days of tent camping and sleeping in an SUV are over. Mm-mm. Well, Can't do it yeah. anymore. Somewhere in my mind, I feel like I need to have four-wheel drive. But I have a Jeep now, and I've never used yeah. four-wheel drive. Like, I think I turned it on once when it got rainy, snowy here, whatever you want to call it. Bless you. Oh, it's so nice to be able to like get up in the middle of the night and pee. Yeah. I mean, like to try to pee in a bottle in your SUV, not easy, not easy at all. I, <laughs> I used to love camping, but I went camping like when I was 43 and I'm like, nah, this is no, I'm good. Not doing this. Yeah. Brian and I are getting. Get a van. Get a van. Yeah, Brian and I are definitely getting to that point, especially with my back, you know, issues. And let me tell y'all, when we were at Continental Ranch for the volunteer weekend in Del Rio, yeah, all of a sudden <laughs> we lay down and like just 15 minutes later, I said, is your hip touching the ground by chance? And he's like, yeah, it is. And we had a hole in this. I mean, we, it was only the second time we used it. Yeah. And it was like, we're now on the limestone. Unfortunately, I have one of those kind of taco-like REI chairs that are, you can, when you open it up, it can go to a 90 degree angle and you can tighten it or yeah. loosen it. So like, that was my pad and I happen to have a couple towels and he was such a kind fiance and like, let me have all the, uh, you know, extras. But, you know, Selena, you make a good point. It's, that's your home. You roll up and you, you can unload a couple of things if you want, or you can just keep it all on. Yeah. That it, automobile. I just can't, um, you know, it's dangerous 
when I, when I was younger, I could do sleep deprivation a lot better, but now sleep deprivation is dangerous for me. It's dangerous in driving. It's dangerous in climbing. My ability to pay attention as a blare declines, right? Like I Good just point. don't do sleep deprivation as well as I used to. And just in that safety factor, the band has paid for itself. But yeah, being able to have a place where I feel safe, you know, when it's too late to drive, I'm feeling tired, I can pull over, go into a Walmart parking, know that I probably won't get kicked out of there and be able to rest before I kind of journey on. It's been huge, huge, huge. I, um, I waited, you know, 50 years to give myself that gift. I'm glad I did because once you do it, there's no going back. <laughs> Makes sense. So what do you, what do you have in your van? You got a shower in there, bathroom, all that? Uh, I, I do have a shower, but it's an outdoor shower that's attached to the back of the van. So I have to open the back van door to shower outside. So it's not inside. Mm-hmm. As far as bathrooms go, I just carry a bithy bag and bottles and and you know a lot of times i won't even right like if i'm at some campground where there's bathrooms i would choose not to do it but you know at the middle of the night when you're sleepy and you need to go use the restroom it's just kind of right there so i have a wide neck bottle for that um (laughs) i have um my van company does really fancy kitchen pods um, but I chose not to get that because I have like a regular camp stove that, you know, I use. I mean, maybe that would be my 52nd birthday. I don't know. So it's it's pretty minimal on the inside? <laughs> it's minimal, but the bed is nice. I have a platform that is on hydraulic so nice. I can lift it up if I have anything tall that can go under the bed on a gear slide. So let's say I have like bicycles or you know, hypothetically, like motorcycles, I don't ride them. But if I did, I could have that there. Um, Nice nice mattress, memory foam mattress. So I sleep really well. I don't get cold. It doesn't have a heater. It doesn't really have a heater. I mean, so it's not like I can heat the place up, but I have a huge sleeping bag that's super fluffy. Yeah. Um, yeah, minimal but like super comfortable. Yeah, yeah. I think if I do anything, I'll just build like a a platform in the back that can come out, and then yeah. So this is like a normal van during the rest of the week. Yeah, like a creeper like van. Like a cre- like I'm living by the river. It's <laughs> gonna paint. Damn, by the river. Free candy on the side. Um, but yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> no, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> If you very uh, get curious about the kind of van I have, just go to uh, vandoit.com. They're the people that um, I bought the van from, and they specialize with outfitting Ford uh, Transits. Yeah, we'll go ahead and get all that information for. Um, so, is the company Van Do It? Van Do It. Okay, definitely get that info for, for everybody. And speaking of shoutouts, toward the end of our show, we always like to see what you are plugging these days, what you're supporting these days, any shout outs, including yourself. What do you have for us? Um, 
I think my big shout out goes to, you know, the AMGA for making a concerted effort to diversify and be more inclusive. Um, I know that a lot of people, you know, a lot of us feel like this thing isn't happening fast enough because the world doesn't change fast enough, right? especially when you've been on the other side of it and it's you've been on the discriminated side but you know I, I feel like the first step is the hardest it's gonna be messy but it's you can't bypass that so I really applaud them for the effort that they're making and for getting you know sponsors who actually show that that's what they're trying to do right they are hosting um, their first BIPOC trans SPI course. I, I think that's starting this week, you know, and that, that's awesome. really amazing. You know, it's easy to complain that things don't happen quick enough, but we just have to keep with it and keep pushing and, you know, make sure we don't go quiet. Absolutely. Are there any other pieces of advice that you have for our audience in regards to self-love and self-acceptance and looking within for, you know, the validation that you need because it's in you and it's not in everybody else. You have anything to share? So the older I get, the simpler this becomes. And ultimately <laughs> I've come to the conclusion that the best form of self-love is having fun and finding joy in everyday life right? I feel like joy is the best antidote, uh, anecdote to antidote, antidote, sorry, antidote. Antic? Antic. <laughs> antidote to fear. So, you know, when you can find joy, you can find creativity, you can find motivation, you know, it's easy for us to ignore our urges to go paddle boarding or say, you know, I'm too busy. I'm not going to go for that run that I've been looking forward to. It's like, no, don't do that. That is what feeds your soul. That is what allows you to show up to the world as that bright light that you are. Don't do anything to like snuff out that light, like keep feeding that fuel because then you're more productive. You're more useful. You're more loving and when you're having fun, that's contagious, right? It sure, yeah. And and just like kindness is contagious because I get inspired by other people's kindness. How can we pass on kindness these days? What are some ways with strangers or uh, your close loved ones or friends from afar? What are some ways that you show kindness? What are ways that inspire you? So all of this i you know it's changed a lot for me since i've become a mom when something is when someone is being a complete a-hole <laughs> or when times are challenging i've come to think that the person that is causing me causing me to feel this way is someone else's sons and daughters right and just like i can't expect myself or my son to grow up faster than he's ready to grow up i can't expect other people to be different than they are i can certainly support them 
in that process, right? However way I can, but, you know, to remember that everybody is somebody's beloved sons and daughters to me was one of the easiest way to stop, like stop being so aggravated and go, you know what? Just that's okay. Like nobody, <laughs> you, they can't help it. Right. It, it, it isn't to say I um, condone or I um, am okay with bad behavior, but we all have bad days. We all have days when our boyfriends broke up on us and whatever things that we didn't see coming we get sideswiped and you know we all need grace and so i think that's um a, a, the way i do it with that being said we appreciate it so very much lena jeremy i'm so sorry for taking over the mic on this interview i just it's, it's all good emily i'm used to it <laughs> You're so patient with me <laughs> <laughs> All right, Selena. Well, you have a great rest of your night. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Thank, Thank you, Selena. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye. Bye.